Just sit in the coffee shop or at a local restaurant and listen in to other people's conversations. It won't take long before you hear how much someone loves their drink or loves how good their dinner is. We love a lot of things. We love movies, we love experiences, we love people, we even love being loved. But what does it really mean? Is our love in the right place? Do we even know what love really is? Let's take a deep dive into what God has to say about love. Welcome to our series, The Power of Love. 1985 motion picture soundtrack for the movie Back to the Future. Huey Lewis in the News had a song on there called The Power of Love. The opening line of that song makes an interesting observation. Maybe you know it. The power of love is a curious thing. Love makes people do crazy things, right? It, makes, it, it was love that, that led Jesus uh, to die on the cross for our sin. It's love that causes a friend to give a kidney to another friend. It's love that makes a man do some foolish things to win the heart of a woman. There's power in love. Jesus told his disciples that the second greatest commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself. He went on to tell that in John, the importance of that love. He said in John 14, or 13, 34 through 35, he says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I want you to see something here. The proof wasn't in the miracles. The proof wasn't in the supernatural. The proof was in the love, in their love for one another. That's the power of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So we're kicking off a three-week series on the power of love. And I, I think it's, it'll help to define love for the purpose of this series. And so there's four types of love. When, when you look in the Bible, the Bible in the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language and in the, in the, New, in the New Testament, it was written in Greek. I, I don't know about you, but I, I, can, I, I can't really read Greek. I just open up a book that tells me what it means, you know, and that's the way they taught me to do it at Bible school. I didn't take any Greek classes or Hebrew classes, but uh, I, I do know how to study and, and understand what it means there. But over the course of history, the Bible's been written in many languages, English and Spanish. If you, if you think of a language, it probably has a Bible in it. And you see the word love in our English version of the Bible, and it has some different meanings. Think of it this way. When I say I love you to my wife, it doesn't mean the same as when I say I love you to a friend. There's a different meaning. There's four types of love that we see in the New Testament based on the words that are used in the original language in the Greek. The first one is, write this down, phileo. If you want to open up your notes this morning, if you're following along with us online, you can go to connectedhope.com and you can actually uh, hit the Bible app and it'll take you to those notes. But if you're here in the house, it was in the bulletin this morning for you. Phileo is a brotherly love. This love speaks of affection, fondness, or, or liking. Phileo is a love that responds to kindness, to appreciation or love. It involves giving as well as receiving. 
But when it is greatly strained, it can collapse in a crisis. Phileo focuses on our happiness rather than my happiness. This love is called out of one's heart by qualities in another. The second one is, is storge. This love has its basis in its own nature. It's a natural affection or natural obligation. It is a quiet abiding feeling within a man that rests on something close to him and then he feels good about. If you want to think of it this way, it's an empathy love. The third one is eros. It's an erotic love. It's a love of passion, of uh, an overmastering passion that seizes and absorbs itself into the mind. It is a love that is an emotional involvement based on body chemistry. The basic idea of this kind of love is really self-satisfaction. Though eros is directed towards another, it actually has self in mind. For example, I love you because you make me happy. The foundation of this type of love is some characteristic in the other person which pleases you. If the characteristic would cease to exist, the reason for the love would be gone. The result being, I don't love you anymore. Eros looks for what it can receive. If it does give, it gives in order to receive. If it fails to get what it wants or expect, bitterness or resentment could develop. So it's a very selfish kind of love. The fourth love is agape, and agape is called out of one's heart by the preciousness of the object love. It's a love of esteem, of evaluation. It has the idea of prizing someone. It is the noblest word for love in all of the Greek language. It's not kindled by the merit or worth of, the, of its object, but it originates in its own God-given nature. God is love, right? It delights in giving, this love keeps on loving even when the loved one is unresponsive, unkind, unlovable, and unworthy. This really is an unconditional love. Agape desires only the good of the one loved. It is consuming passion for the well-being of others. So when we refer to love, I'm not talking about Valentine's Day that's going to happen here in just a few days. I'm not talking about a romantic love. I'm talking about an unconditional love that comes from God. This Christian love like Christ hath, wanting to do good for all men, loving them despite their faults, willing to lay down a life for his friend, John 15, 13 says, and here's how to measure it. The greatest love is shown when people lay down their lives for their friends. So that's my introduction today. First Corinthians chapter 13 is long been called the love chapter. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth and and the church at Corinth had written, if you, if you studied it, they had written some questions to Paul regarding various topics, and one of them being public worship. How are we supposed to worship together? I mean, think about this. The church was brand new at the time. It was, it was a new thing. And so, you know, there was different things. The Holy Spirit, you know, the Acts 2 uh, explosion of the power of the Holy Spirit was relatively new. And there wasn't a lot of books uh, that had been written there. There weren't podcasts. There wasn't a lot of information out there. And so they were going back to the apostles to get some information on how do we worship. And in the middle of that response about spiritual gifts and order and worship, he drops in several paragraphs about the need 
to operate in love. He referred to it as a way of life that is best of all, or maybe your translation says, the most excellent way. In the middle of that diatribe on love, he really gives us a definition of what love is. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no records of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. In my almost 10 years as pastor, we have used this passage of scripture in various messages as we've talked about love. But I have never really dived deep into what this passage means. And that's exactly what this series is going to do. We're going to look at each one of these definitions of what love is and what love is not. And we're actually going to look at it more closely. So I'm probably going to teach a little bit more than I preach during this, during this next three weeks because I want us to get something. We can, we can see what love is, love is patient, love is kind, but I want us to understand the true heart and the meaning behind those verses because God is love. We want to have that kind of loving relationship, whether it be with our spouse, whether it be with a friend, a coworker, a neighbor. We want to love our neighbor as ourself. And so I want us to look at this this morning. First one is love is patient. If you're with me, say amen. One of the issues that the church at Corinth was having was they were impatient in their meetings. Now, think about this. The gift of the spirits were in operation. And as, as the gifts were in operations, there were tongues and there were uh, interpretations of the tongues. And so people were getting so excited that they were impatient, not with somebody else who was already talking and they were trying to talk over them. And I mean, if you've ever been in a meeting like that, where, where people are just talking over one another and they're not patient and they're not waiting their turn. And that's what exactly what was happening. They wouldn't wait. And the Greek word used to hear uh, denotes patience with people rather than circumstances. This is not talking about losing your patience when the light won't turn green. It's talking about being patient with the person around you, with the people that are around you. This concept is often used of God. If you look at Romans 2, 4, it says, don't you see how wonderful, kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? So patience is a God-like quality. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, and be patient with everyone. Oh, come on, you might need to underline that right there. You now need to circle that, that word patient and then go ahead and circle the word everyone. Patience is more than a virtue. It's a command and it's a sign of our love for others. Let me say that again. Patience is more than a virtue. It's a command and it's a sign of our love for others. 2 Corinthians 6, 6 says, we prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, and our patience. Our kindness, 
by the Holy Spirit within us and by our sincere love. This is another example about the proof of our commitment to Christ being in our love. And in this case, our patience. One commentator wrote it like this. He says, what does patient love among believers look like? Such love bears with certain annoyances or inconveniences without complaint. Such love does not lose its temper when provoked. Such love steadily perseveres without love. No matter how wonderful the gifts in the church, people will be impatient with one another, short-tempered and irritable. I don't know if you've ever been a church, a part of a church that's like that. Where you walk into the place and, and you can see the gifts of the spirit being in operation, but there's not any love in the house. I'm gonna tell you something right now. If, if, if we wanted to just back up a little bit in 1 Corinthians 13, one, and, and one through three, he talks about, I can speak with the tongues of men and angels, but if I don't have love, then it's just a, it's, it's just a clinging gong and a symbol over here. It's a nuisance, it's annoyance. It's annoying. If I just sat up here this morning for the next 30 minutes and just hit that symbol over and over again, didn't say a word, but just hit that, hit, hit that symbol over and over again, it would, it would like get on all of your nose. In fact, I think after about five minutes, all the love that you had in your heart for me would be gone and that you would just walk out the door and I would be in here by myself. Can I get a good amen on that? You, you, can, you, can, have, you can have all the gifts of the spirit you want but if you're a mean person, if you're impatient, if you don't have love, then, 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 then here's what he said. People will be impatient with one another, short-tempered and irritable, without love. That's what it's going to be like. I don't know about you, but I don't want to attend a church like that. And thankfully, we don't. I love that doesn't sound like Hope Family Fellowship to me. That's not the hope that I know. And so I'm grateful for this church family. Ephesians 4.2 says, always be humble and gentle. Be what? Patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. So love is patient. Okay, can, I, can you move on please, pastor? <laughs> Number two, love is kind. The Greek word translated kind here is, is the only time this verb occurs in, in the New Testament. Some feel like, kind of like George W. Bush, Paul coined this word, like he made it up. That's what some people think. The scholars and the Greek, they just make up words. And so the, the corresponding adjective that goes along with this verb can be translated as good or kind. And it, what is suggested is that Paul kind of just combine both of these words into this one meaning. So love reacts with goodness towards those who mistreat it. It gives itself in kindness in the service of others. Ephesians 4.32 says it like this, instead be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ just as God through Christ has forgiven you. One commentator explains, it's not merely passive. It's actively engaged in doing good to others. It's the picture of a person who spontaneously seeks the good for others and shows it with friendly acts. How many of you ever heard of a random act of kindness before? 
You're sitting at Starbucks or you're sitting at whatever coffee shop or whatever McDonald's that you're getting your breakfast, your coffee or whatever, and you pull up and the person in front of you has randomly paid for yours. And then all of a sudden it happens and they, and you pay for them and they pay for you and all of this. And it's, and we feel real good about ourselves because random act of kindness, right? What does kind love look like among believers? We're to be considerate of others. We're to be helpful to others. Kind love is gentle. It's mild. Kind love is ready to show compassion, especially to those in need. Colossians 3.12 says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy. That's compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and there's that word patience again. So, Love is patient and love is kind. Those are two things that love is. But Paul went on to say that this is what love is not. Love is not, write this down, jealous. Maybe your translation says it like this. Love does not envy. Envy refers really, uh, you know, there's jealousy, but then there's envy. And envy is really a strong jealousy of another person. The envious person desires what another person has. And if you look back in scripture, you, you kind of can see the pattern in the church at Corinth. There was some jealousy. There was some envy going. Those that had the lesser gifts in their mind envied those who had maybe greater gifts in their mind. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I, I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Don't, doesn't that prove you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? And Paul's saying, listen, I wanted to bring you a little something deeper, but you can't get the basic over here because you're jealous of each other. You're jealous of each other's gifts. You're jealous of what's going on. So this was an issue that Paul recognized in the church at Corinth. And he said, listen, you got to get this together. And so that's why he threw out... Throughout, he's coming back to this idea of, of, of not having envy in our life, that love is not jealous. So this was an issue he recognized. So how does jealousy enter our relationships? Well, we get jealous when somebody gets promoted and we don't. We get jealous when somebody's gift is better than ours. And what that really means is we wish they had their gift. I'm gonna, let me help you out this morning. That they probably wish they had your gift. You ever seen somebody super talented in the area and they wish they had something in another area? I remember a famous athlete saying something like this. He said, every athlete wants to be an entertainer and every entertainer wants to be an athlete. I promise you that when they get up tonight and, 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 and they play the Super Bowl, there's somebody in that locker room that wishes that they were going to be on the halftime show instead of, instead of on the field during the game. 
Oh, I just wish I could sing like Usher. Oh, I just wish I could sing like Reba. Oh, I wish I could just have that voice. Oh, I wish I could do that. Or, oh, I wish I could throw the football like Patrick Mahomes. Or I wish I could throw it like Brock Purdy. Oh, I wish I could catch the pass like this person or that person. And we want the gifts. Oh, let me bring it into the church. I wish I could get on stage with a mic like Pastor Rusty. Oh, I wish I could sing. Oh, when Garrett played that little... Latin beat this morning on the first song. That was so cool. I wish I could do that. Oh, I wish I could play the bass or sing like Carissa. Oh, I wish I could do that. Oh, and then there's some people that think, man, I wish I could run a computer like Pastor Ben. I wish I could do all that with the lights. That'd just be so cool. Oh, I wish I could cook like, uh, I wish I could cook like the ladies on the hospitality team and your husband's saying, I wish you could cook like them too. And we want somebody else's gift, and so jealousy enters into our heart. Oh, let let me just say this. We get jealous when somebody has the position that we want. Well, I wish I was in that position. We get jealous when somebody has a relationship we want. I wish I was friends with them like they're, they're friends. Why do they always spend time with him? Why do they always spend time with her We get jealous when someone is being used more than we are. Oh, I've had this happen over the years, not here. But I've had this happen over the years. I was using somebody and they they got mad. Uh, Somebody else got mad and their parent calls me because they're mad because I'm not using their kid because I'm using this kid. Now, what I want to say is if your kid showed up when they showed up, then they might get used. I'm just being honest this morning. So jealousy. Here's what Barton said, Bruce Barton, in his commentary on this passage. He says, envy stagnates the church, causing the envious believers to remain self-centered and self-focused, feeling sorry for themselves and not fulfilling their God-given role. When there is love, believers will gladly use whatever gifts they have been given to work together for the advance of God's Kingdom. They will be glad that others have different gifts so that the entire job can get done. That's what living by the Spirit is all about. It's being content with the way that God created us and open to being used how He wants. Galatians 5:25, talking about the fruit of the Spirit in, in, in chapter 5, but in verse 25, it says, Since we are living by the Spirit, Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or or, or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Living by the Spirit is saying, God, I'm here. I want to be used however you want me to be used. I'm here. I'm your servant. Whatever you want me to do, I'm here, God. And and I know you created me this way. And we kind of get our eyes off of other people and the talent and the abilities and the gifts and all of those things that they have. Or maybe we we could put it into the material things. I wish I had drove that car. I wish I had their car. I wish all of this kind of stuff. Listen, God, God gives you the ability to... Earn. God gives you the, the ability to do some things. We don't know the sacrifice that other people made to get to the place that they are. We don't know the sacrifice that they made with their gifts. We don't know the hours that they spent practicing. We don't know the hours that they spent perfecting their craft in the kitchen. We don't know the hours that it took watching videos and going through training 
to learn to run the media and the tech. We don't know all the time and the seasons that it has, and yet we want to have what they have right now without the sacrifice. And so jealousy enters the picture. The, the, the flip side of that, and I want to connect all these dots here in just a moment, is that love is not boastful or proud. Again, looking at this from the lens of the church at Corinth, if some of the believers were having a problem with envy, then those with what some would might have thought were greater gifts, they were having a problem boasting and being proudful. Again, it seems that this may have been a problem in Corinth. When, when, when spectacular, gifted people begin to boast, what have they done? They've directed their energy towards themselves. Look at me. Look at me. Look at what I did. The, the gift becomes not a tool of service for the kingdom, but it comes a way that we advance ourselves. These believers are what? They're proud. And while some pride can be positive, the kind of pride that we, we uh, you know, the, the kind of pride that we put into our work, you know, we take pride in our work, we take pride in that, there's something about that. But this kind of pride takes credit for an undeserved gift. Gifted believers who are caught up in pride and boasting over the gifts are unable to serve. It becomes about people serving them and not the other way around. Without love, they may feel that by using their gifts, they're doing someone a favor. Well, I'm just here, I'm just doing somebody a favor. I'm doing pastor a favor just by showing up. That others should be grateful for them and they kind of have this air of superiority. Instead of being puffed up with pride, we need to allow our love to remove pride and replace it with a desire to promote other people. Romans 12.10 says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. A few months ago, one of my former students called me and we were, we were talking, just catching up on the phone and he works in business and consulting and he made an interesting observation. He talked about how social media really gave everybody a brand. Now, when you think about a brand, you think about, you know, like brands, whether it be a brand of clothing, whether it be a brand of uh, a chain of restaurants or a brand of businesses. But he said social media gave everybody a brand. And I thought about that. We, we put out on social media how we want the world to see us, whether that's consciously or subconsciously. What I would refer to it as shameless self-promotion. Now, I'm not asking you today to go uh, get rid of your Facebook or your TikTok or whatever uh, thing that you're on and, and you enjoy to be, be on. I'm not asking you to get rid of that. But we really are living in a time of shameless self-promotion. The danger in that is that, when we that we can become puffed up when we appear to be successful. Let me make this personal. We're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, right? That's what the scripture says. Am I putting on the sermon clip from today's message to minister to people so that they can hear the message of hope 
or am I having Pastor Ben put the sermon clip together so it makes me look good? A couple of months ago, he put one out on, on, the, on there and I stumbled over some words and I was like, man, I can't believe it. I stumbled all over those words. I want to have him take that down and immediately got a check in my spirit. Is it about me? Or is it about the message? The delivery wasn't great, but the message was. So I sucked it up, sucked my pride up, and never even said a word about it. This is the first time he's hearing about it. Why? Because I have to check my motives. Church, I constantly have to check my own motives. Oh, there, there was a time I was playing on a live worship album and I had 10 seconds, 10 seconds for a little bit of a bass solo in the middle of the thing. And I'm over here and it was one of those like, I mean, I, I had a little funk going on. It was awesome. And I hit the note in the first note and I, I did the first pop and the crowd went nuts and I soaked in that greatness of them appreciating my gift. And the very next note I hit was wrong. And I looked out and the, the music director at the church looks at me and she just grinned. Probably nobody else in the room knew that I had messed up, but I knew and she knew and God knew, and Proverbs 16, 18 became true. Pride goes before destruction and a haughtiness before a fall. So I have to check my motives because my job is not to make Rusty Posey famous. My job is to make Jesus famous. God has a way of humbling the proud. So we have to keep our motives pure and our pride in check. So what love does is it checks our ego at the door. Love promotes others in a world of self-promoters. Love cheers others on in the spotlight. Love walks in humility and considers others better than ourselves. Love sees our gift as just a part of the team and not the key part of the team. One of the prayers that we've prayed as a family as we've transitioned over the years from church to church and from ministry opportunity to ministry opportunity, we've always prayed this prayer that God would let us just be the missing piece of the puzzle. What I want you to understand is, is we don't believe that we're the, only, we're the only piece of the puzzle. We're just one part of the puzzle. And we know that at times that there's, a, like when a, in an organization, there's a missing piece that the church needs. And it's not that we're coming in to be the hero, but we're just coming to be a part of the team. And that God is going to use our gift to, to advance the kingdom of God. And so one of the metrics I started keeping this year is how many people do we have serving on Sunday morning? How many people? I want to know. Well, this morning we got one up there. We got three back in the sound booth. We had five here on stage this morning. We had some ushers. We had some greeters out at the door. We had a hospitality team. We have kids workers back there. We have nursery workers back in the back. And we have the others. Now, some people serve in two roles. Like we have people that served on the worship team this morning and then were ushers. We have people that did some hospitality stuff and will be serving us back later on. And so we have people that serve in different roles and different functions. But on average, we have 16 different people serving on Sunday mornings. Some of them are serving in multiple roles or fun functions. But here's what I want you to understand is that we all need each other. 
We all need each other. I need Bradley this morning to put my scriptures and make, make me look good up, up here. I need Joe to get my good side on the camera. I need Pastor Ben to make, he said, I tried, Pastor. I can only work with so much. I need Haley to switch, to do all the switching to make it look right. I need Pastor Ben to oversee all that because I can't do it. I can't come run down here and grab the offering plate and run run over here and start getting the money over here. And then I got to have somebody to take it and make it and put it secure. And then I promise you, you don't want me to make coffee. Oh, I can do it, but I can't do it well. I do it, I, I do it just enough to get by. I don't know how many scoops there is, so I just put in there. And so sometimes I make it too weak and sometimes I make it too strong, but our team, they've learned and they know how to do it just right. We need each other, church. Pride says, pride says I don't need you, that my gift is enough. But I promise you, I promise you, God has created us all together to work together So as I wrap this up this morning, in his book, Surprised by Hope, N.T. Wright powerfully declares, the point of 1 Corinthians 13 is that love is not our duty, it's our destiny. It's the language Jesus spoke and we are called to speak it so that we can converse with him. It is the food they eat in God's new world and we must acquire the taste for it here and now. It's the music God has written for all his creatures to see and we are called to learn it and practice it now so as to be ready when the conductor brings down his baton. We need each other. So love is patient, love is kind, Love does not envy, it's not boastful, and it's not proud. So now you can see why this is a three-week series on this four messages, because I just did one verse today. It's good. As I've studied this and I I opened up up, up the Word of God and went through different commentaries and really dug deep on what, what the Word of God was saying, what Paul was saying here, it just really come alive in my spirit, because that's the power of love. When we truly love one another, when we truly show love, listen, this is, this is in the, we, we, we talk a lot about the church, but this is in your workplace as well. John Maxwell said it like this, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's so true. So I'm gonna ask you to stand with me this morning. Here's our response today. Our response is very simply this. As I spoke this morning, maybe, maybe you struggled in an area. You're like, man, immediately God convicted you because you were impatient with somebody this week. You were impatient with a coworker. You were impatient with a family member. You were impatient with a friend. Maybe even on the way to this church this morning, you snapped at somebody. Maybe you, the Lord convicted you because... You're like, man, I had an opportunity to show kindness, to do good for somebody, and instead, I just let that go. Maybe you could kind of can check, check your own heart and your own motives, and you realize that you've become envious of other people. Or maybe you've become self-important. You've allowed pride to enter your life and your heart. 
Here's a response today. You're not responding to me. I'm not inviting you to this altar. But I'm asking you right where you're at to respond to God this morning. Chris is going to sing the song that she sang earlier today. The goodness of God all my life, you've been faithful. And as she sings it this morning, I want you to make a place of prayer right where you're at. And I want you to check your motives. I want you to check your heart. And allow God to work on you and minister to you this morning as she sings.